Father, we praise you for that beautiful vision of the future that we've just been singing about. We praise you for Jesus, who makes that future possible. We praise you that you are a good and kind and loving God that we can trust. And we praise you that despite our sin and our weakness and our failure, you speak to us. You give us a saviour. And in your word now, we pray that we would be drawn to trust in Jesus and live like him and love like him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nancy, not her real name, thought that she had met the man of her dreams on a dating website. His name was Marcello, an Italian who told her he was working in Turkey. And she quickly found she had a rapport with him and they shared similar values. They soon began messaging one another on an instant messaging service and soon the messaging was happening from early morning to late at night every day. After about six weeks, Marcello said he had been mugged in Turkey and was unable to pay his workers there with him in Turkey before returning to the UK when he and Nancy were due to meet. He also said his son was in hospital and needed surgery. Nancy said she was uncomfortable with the situation but ended up reluctantly sending him €3,500. It escalated unbelievably quickly, she told the BBC News website later. Straight away it was medical fees that she was asked for, then it was money for food, money needed to pay rent, money for taxes to get out of Turkey. She felt very uncomfortable, began to be more and more suspicious that Marcello was not who he said he was, but she quickly found she'd got so far in that she couldn't get herself out. And she couldn't bear to walk away having already lost thousands of pounds, so she kept going in the hope that she was wrong and he was genuine. In the end, the BBC reported that she lost over £350,000 before she was declared bankrupt. Now, it's hard to think of something more heartbreaking than love that turns out to be a scam. When love turns out to be hate. We've seen over the last couple of months as we've looked at this first letter of John that John has been writing to a church that is suffering from the effects of a fake kind of love. The situation is that some from within the church have left because they have declared themselves more spiritual, more holy than those left behind. And the Christians left behind are in danger of thinking that they lack something. These guys seem to be saying that sin isn't such a big issue for them. And really, Christians, you ought not to bang on about sin all the time. It's so negative. And the guys left behind are thinking, really? Actually, that that sounds rather attractive. Because sin actually is still a massive issue for me. Because I'm tempted daily by my selfishness and my greed. And I'm so conscious of how I don't put others first like I should. And I'm jealous and I covet and I lust. So maybe I'm doing something wrong, they think. 
And John has been saying, don't be deceived. Those guys who look so attractive, actually, they are in love with the world. They're living for the things the world lives for, and they're loving the things that the world loves. Be reassured, you already have what you need in the Apostles' message about Jesus. And look, the way that you can spot that these guys aren't the real deal and they're more in love with the world than they appear is how they treat you. We've seen a little bit of that already in chapter 2, verses 3 to 11 a few weeks ago. Then in the second half of chapter 2, John introduced the main theme of his letter, do not love the world, that's the world that they love. And then we saw what makes not loving the world difficult. The church is full of antichrists from verse 18 in chapter 2. And real Christians, real children of God, don't look all that impressive yet. What we will be has not yet been revealed. That's the beginning of chapter 3. So that's what makes it, that's what makes it difficult not to be taken in. And he's saying, no, don't be taken in, be reassured. Now, in, in this section of the letter, from the second half of chapter 3 to the end of chapter 4, we get three sections of application, driving home his message. So there's something about love in these verses that we've heard read today. Next time, in, in chapter 4, 1 to 6, it's about discerning true and false teaching. And then we return to love in chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Superficially, this morning, the, the, the message looks similar to that later chapter, if you've read on in the letter. Let us love one another, he says in both sections. But in this section, the focus is more on the negative implications of this. Don't be like the false teachers who have left. Their love is fake. That's the point this morning. Their love is the false love of a dating website scammer or worse. And so this morning we need to be hearing what John is saying to us in the light of that. So we can be alert, and maybe even if we're not yet trusting in Jesus, so we can see how to spot what true love from God looks like. So here we then You can see on the back of the pink sheets some, some headings for where we're going. When love turns out to be fake, don't be surprised, don't be fooled. Don't lose your confidence before God. So first, don't be surprised from verses 11 to 15. Remember, John is a kind of choreographer. We've seen, if you've been here, he dances around on a theme. It's not always in a completely logical order, as we kind of are used to presenting arguments and things. But the heart of the first paragraph is verse 13. Have a look at that. At first glance, it looks a bit out of place. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. It sounds out of place because it comes in the middle of a paragraph about loving or hating your brother or sister. We should love one another, he says. Not like Cain, who hated his brother and murdered him. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. To hate is to murder. But in the middle, suddenly, do not be surprised if the world hates you. Now, take that verse out of context, and we might start to think about what we heard last week. If you were here, we had an all-age service about the persecuted church. And uh, Jesus said, they will persecute you because they persecuted me. But actually, particularly for a Christian living towards the end of the first century, after Nero had begun his reign of terror, really, there would be nothing surprising 
about the idea that non-Christians might hate Christians. They might even kill them. That's not really a surprise. Historians believe every single one of the original apostles commissioned by Jesus was put to death for their faith, with the exception of John, who wrote this letter. He died in suffering, uh, died suffering in exile on Patmos, an island. But it, it was quite obvious to these early Christians that the world would hate Christ, uh, Christians and mistreat them. But as we can see here in this paragraph, John is talking about his brothers and sisters. Could he mean something different by the word world here then? Well, look over at chapter 4, verse 5. They, that is the departed false teachers, are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So back in chapter 2 verse 15, the kind of theme verse of the letter, the command not to love the world, actually that command there was a command not to love the worldly false teachers who crave and lust and boast just like the world does. These false teachers... John is saying they look so spiritual and attractive and you're you're tempted to follow them. Dig deeper and look at their desires and what they live for and they love and you will see they're utterly worldly. They love power and possessions and status and reputation just like the world. That is what is driving them to lead you astray. That is what they're living for. So, Back in our passage in verse 13, do not be surprised if the world, that is in particular the false teachers who are in reality the world, don't be surprised if they hate you. We saw John does this with words. It might sound a bit strange at first, but actually the letter's full of things like this. He talks about commandments, and you think, okay, lots of commandments. No, but actually he's really got one commandment in mind, which is the commandment to love one another. Two weeks ago, if you were here, he talked about sin, first half of chapter 3. But actually, in the end, we saw he had really one sin in mind, which is the sin of not believing in Jesus. And it seems it's the same here. Do not be surprised if the world, in other words, those Christians who appear to be Christians but are in fact the world, don't be surprised if they hate you. And actually, this is something that could completely blindside the genuine Christian. When a bit like Nancy that we heard about at the start, the the love of the Christian they thought was genuine turns out to be fake, turns out to be a scam. The false Christian, the scammer teacher, talks the talk and sounds so attractive, but they are marked not by love, says John, but by hate. They're like Cain who murdered Abel. He says, anyone who does not love with genuine love is like that, says John. Absence of genuine love is hate, and hate, verse 15, is the same as murder. In the UK, it's often students who experience this in its most blatant form. The institutional chaplain comes to the Christian Union, and he comes to the leaders and asks them to tone down their evangelism for fear of implying that not everybody goes to heaven. The chaplain is older, more experienced, has ties with the powers that be, and the Christian Union finds itself no longer able to meet in the school or the university building. 
or <clears throat> excuse me, perhaps a, a friend who used to come to church, used to profess faith in Christ, or even worse, used to be a respected leader, but now they've moved on, they've fallen away from biblical faith, emails and phone calls go unanswered. When you finally get through to them, the response is blunt. Where once there was love and joy, <clears throat> now it's just, do not talk to me about this again, I don't want to hear from you. It's no surprise when non-Christians hate or persecute Christians and make life difficult for Christians. That's not surprising at all. It's very surprising and painful when it comes from closer to home. The pain comes from the fact that these people used to say they were your brothers and sisters. They would have taken a bullet for you. Now they're aligning themselves with the world and with those who hate genuine Christian faith. So don't be caught out by that. Don't be thrown off guard by that. Don't be surprised. And maybe if you've been trusting in Christ for a while, you'll be aware of situations like that in your own life. Don't be surprised. This is what happens in a world where the darkness is still passing away. And then secondly, don't be fooled, verses 16 to 18. Don't be fooled by this fake love. If you're not fooled, in the first place, you won't be caught by surprise. The thing about counterfeits is that when you look at them on their own, they can be very convincing sometimes. So, uh, when I was a teenager, my parents bought a scanner for the computer, you know, which was, which was brand new things, very exciting, not something that had been had before. So straight away, what did I do as a teenager? I photocopied a five-pound note, double-sided. And as a dare for about 30 seconds, I convinced my maths teacher to part with four pounds in exchange. Less than the note was worth, so he thought he was getting a good deal. I should add that my conscience did not allow me to continue with this. And I asked my teacher to compare the fake note with a real one. You can tell I was a joy to have around in maths lessons. <laughs> And I now realise, of course, that photocopying banknotes is, in fact, plain illegal. <laughs> so don't try this at home. But if a photocopied note was mildly convincing, convincing enough for my maths teacher, provided you didn't look too closely, well, once you held it up next to the real thing, it couldn't have been more obvious that it was fake. The paper was too thick, there were no watermarks, no holograms, none of the other features of a genuine note. And John does something similar here. You see, he holds up the fake love of the false teachers that Mike might take you in for a moment. He holds it up next to the real thing. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us. And then we get a window into what was lacking in the fake love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Can you imagine the situation? You see, these super spiritual teachers have been talking the talk about how much they've experienced God in their life and how God has blessed them with riches and wealth and but when a fellow church member falls ill, and in particular as a culture, when you think about it, there's no NHS, there's no social security, suddenly you hear nothing from them. 
That is not the kind of love Jesus showed us, says John. Let's not love, therefore, with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Words of love must always lead to action. Just as God did not simply say he loved us, but he acted out that love in history, in the person of his son, living and dying sacrificially. Love like that, and, and more than that, in action and in truth. It's not that words have no value at all, of course, but the two must go together. Truth without love is not Christian truth. Love without truth is not Christian love. See, if you're doctrinally pure and correct, but you behave like a bully, or conversely, if you do not allow the truth of God's word to shape how you love, you do not have the love of God in you. It works both ways, do you see? In the end, the difference between the fake and the genuine believer is that the fake believer loves their material possessions and their status and their reputation and the power that they have in the world. They love that more than people. They are more in love with the world, as we have seen. But the true believer loves people with their material possessions. Can you see the difference? They may be rich, they may be poor, but with whatever they have, they love. Do you love your possessions? Or do you love others with your possessions, your time, your money, your house, whatever it might be? Genuine children of God are marked out by loving one another as Jesus has loved them. It won't be perfect. We won't always get it right. As we saw before when we looked at chapter 2, we will mess up, we will miss things, but the desire is there. We acknowledge this. it ought to be like this. Don't be fooled by the fake who talks about love but carries on behaving like the world. Apparently, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, once sent a one-word telegram to his officers around the world, which simply said this, Others. And Salvation Army workers were known for their unselfish commitment to others. On the 29th of May, 1914, the, the ship, the Empress of Ireland, sank with 130 Salvation Army officers on board. 109 of those officers were drowned, and not one body that was picked up had a life jacket on. The few survivors told how the Salvation Army officers had found that there were not enough life jackets for all. So they took off their own life jackets and strapped them even on stronger people, saying, I can die better than you can. They lived out that battle cry that had been given to them. Others. And it came from the Saviour who gave his life himself for others. Maybe as we reflect on that, we wonder how we can ever measure up. Maybe we're deeply aware of how we fail to love others so frequently. And that then is why we need to see these final verses from 19 to 24. As John continues, don't lose your confidence before God. Don't lose your confidence before God. The point of these verses 
is to unmask the false and the fake. But also as throughout this letter to reassure the genuine believer in Jesus. Do you, do you remember the baseball bat if you've been here previously? The baseball bat, I gather, is being put to its proper use currently in something called the World Series, which is a tournament I know nothing about, except that it involves baseball bats occasionally. It doesn't happen very much, does it? They, they occasionally hit baseballs. But good as that is, a baseball bat can also be a weapon. And we need to be careful that this test of genuine love in action does not become a weapon for beating up genuine believers, where we end up kind of going, oh, well, you know, but maybe, maybe, oh, I've been trying to love each other, but maybe I haven't quite reached the standard, and so on. And we beat ourselves up. Now, this is meant to highlight the fake, but the, the genuine Christian will never do this perfectly. And as he puts it in verse 20, have a look at that, he says, there will be times when our hearts condemn us. And we've seen earlier in the letter, it's not that the genuine Christian is without sin, it's that the genuine Christian is honest about their sin and confesses it and repents and finds forgiveness and a fresh start in Christ. And so here it's a similar thought. When your heart condemns you because you realise, I didn't love my brother or sister as I should or could have done, I neglected to care, I didn't bother to phone, I focused on my own minor problems in the face of their major crisis. I shielded myself rather than risk pain and inconvenience. And I know that that's not what Jesus did for me, and I feel condemned by my lack of love. When all those things, and that's how we feel, what do we do? Verse 20, God is greater than our hearts. What does he mean by that? He means that his generosity is far greater than the greatest generosity we can ever sum up in our, drum up in our own hearts. He knows everything. John says, including the secrets of our hearts, but he is greater. So we can go to him when we struggle to love, and we can find afresh the love that he poured out on us when Jesus died for us. The fake is shown up by the genuine, as we saw, but more than that, love for the fake can be cured by love for the genuine. I think I mentioned this in our monthly prayer meeting recently. There was a time when I was perfectly content with instant coffee. I mean, can you believe it? I know. I proudly arrived at university with a massive catering tin of instant coffee that I'd picked up from somewhere, and I was happily making my way through it when one day somebody gave me a cafetiere and I discovered the real thing. And fairly quickly I realised instant coffee is disgusting. <laughs> real, freshly roasted, freshly ground coffee is the amber nectar. <laughs> See, once you've discovered the real thing, you won't give the counterfeit a second thought. Instant coffee does not pass my lips anymore. But it's like that when our hearts condemn us and we're struggling with love for others because at that moment, frankly, self-love feels more appealing. No, God's love is greater. Go to the foot of the cross, experience his love afresh, poured out for us there, and you will find the resources to love the unlovely 
and the undeserving, the people that you think, I, I, you know, they're just so irritating and I can't find a way to love them. No, how has God treated you? Go back to the cross. You will find the true love poured out there that defeats all our inability to love as we know we should. That is where we find the resources to be freed from that love of self that binds us. And the result then in the last four verses is even more confidence before God, even more, a kind of positive feedback loop. When we're struggling to love, we will struggle to pray, we will feel guilty, we will, feel, we will fear that God will reject us. When we know we've been forgiven and we've experienced God's love afresh, our conscience will have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and we will have confidence before God because of him. And look, verse 22, we will receive whatever we ask. Can you really mean that? I mean, can I pray for a Porsche? Or, or, or more poignantly, is this how my prayers for healing can be sure to be answered? You know, if I sort of get it together and do loving properly, is that how my prayers get answered? Well, the Bible always talks about prayer needing to be in accordance with God's will. And God loves to answer prayer that is, in according, that is according to his will. And that's what he talks about here, is he talks about us obeying his commands and doing what pleases him. You see, the more our hearts are aligned with his heart and our wills with his will, the more we will pray for what he wants to give us. And the more we revel in and relish his love, the more content we will find ourselves in our circumstances now. That's actually the thing that we are probably struggling with a lot of the time when we feel that our prayers are not being answered. It's a sort of lack of contentment, a lack of trust and dependence on our Heavenly Father, a lack of believing really that he is as loving as he says he is, given the circumstances that we are in. And actually, sometimes it may be his will for us to endure something that wouldn't be what we would choose for ourselves. But we can know. Look at how much he loves us. This is what love looks like. He sent his son to the cross to die for us, verse 16. So we can trust him, even in those circumstances. And that will change our prayers, perhaps from simply change this situation to, Father, help me trust you. Help me to go your way and to depend on you. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not, if it's possible, take this, will, take this cup away from me. But not my will, yours be done. And so we trust and find our wills aligning to his. So go on, keeping his commands. Trust Jesus, verse 23, love one another and we will live in him. His Holy Spirit will help us to do these things. So as we finish then, don't be surprised. Don't be fooled by fake love, scam love. Don't let your struggle to love truly and wholeheartedly take away your confidence before God. Instead, stick to the real thing to Jesus and his death. And, and when we do that, we will find ever-increasing joy and confidence in knowing God. Let's pray.
Father, we praise you for this picture of what true and genuine love looks like. We see that in Jesus at the cross. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. May that be the measure of all our love. As we listen to all the voices in the world around us and indeed in the church, and as we seek to love one another, may Jesus' Jesus's love be the measure of that love. And may we then come to you when we struggle to love, knowing that you always welcome sinners. Help us to be honest before you and one another, to trust in Jesus' death in our place and find that confidence before you afresh, not because of ourselves and our performance, but because of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.